on today's message from Harvest Church of God. Hey, wouldn't you like to live so that every morning when you get up, somebody would go tell the devil, hey, she's up. At the name of Jesus, needs are met, lepers are cleaned, eyes are open, deaf ears are unstopped. Ha. Oh, I want you to know today there's power in the name of Jesus. The devil can't destroy what the work of God has begun in you. He says, I will not take my hand off of you until I have completed what I began in you. Stop worrying about when you're going to die. Stop worrying about getting cancer. Stop worrying about all these things going on. There is a heavenly Father, and he cares about you, and he loves you. Father, now we approach a very solemn hour, the preaching hour. And God, we come with humility, and we come today with grateful hearts. We bow in your presence, O Lord, to hear from you. Our goal in this service is to have an encounter with you. Thank you for wonderful music. Thank you, God, for great prayers. But, Lord, our minds right now are centered upon what your Word has to say. Your words are lamp to our feet, light to our path, food to our spirit man. Help us, O Lord, to receive the things of the Spirit and hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God is good. All of the time, God is good. God is and errant in all of his ways. In fact, the Bible says in the Psalms that how excellent are your ways in all the earth. God's ways are so far above our ways as far as the heaven is above the earth. In fact, the Bible said he dwelleth in a place that no man can approach unto. In fact, the Bible said that in his light none can stand in the brilliance of his light. No man hath seen God at any time. Moses came close. The Bible said he saw his hind parts as he was hid in the cleft of the rock. In our pursuit for God, our chasing after God, there are many avenues through which we can encounter him. The most important encounter that we have with God is through communion, as we said last Sunday. That's our pearly gate into that fellowship with Him. Prayer is a very close second in that gate that leads into the palace of our God, eventually to the throne room of grace. That's a place where we find help, the Bible said. Grace to help in time of need. Our God is constantly hearing the prayers of His Son. The Bible said that He ever lives to make intercession for us. He is our mediator. That means he is the one who goes between us and God. Being as God is so holy that none can approach him. God is so powerful and so sovereign and so absolute that no flesh can stand in his presence, that no sin can come before him. Therefore, he is a, a God who is touched by the mediator and our advocate, the Lord Jesus, who prays for us. I, I, I like 
people that pray for me, but I like more that Jesus prays for me. Because when Jesus prays, nothing can resist him. When Jesus prays, all things are possible. When Jesus prays, walls are kicked down. When Jesus prays, healing and blessing and strength and encouragement comes to our heart. When Jesus prays for us, there is absolute response immediately. For when he speaks, every creature must recognize his voice and understand that we are his people, that he is our shepherd, that he is our God, he is our leader. What an occasion we have when we come before him in prayer. Come before him in prayer. That is the most sacred of times for us individually is when we pray. I often tell you, you can do more important things after you pray, but nothing more important until you pray, until we pray. I'm going to talk to you this July 4th weekend, this Independence Day weekend, about this battle that we fight for freedom. You see, when our forefathers gathered in Philadelphia 245 years ago today, and they accepted a statement that they wanted to make to the world, they wanted to let all nations and all peoples of the earth know that from this day forward, we are an independent nation, a nation under God, and we are under the tyranny and the dominion of no other but God. That was quite a statement. And like all other things, when you make a statement like that, you better get your gloves on because you're fixing the fight. And I think they knew very well that there was a fight to be fought for freedom. In fact, Patrick Henry made those statements. He said, our brethren are already in the field. Already the sound of resounding arms are ringing in our ears. Why stand we here idle? And he said, as for me, give me liberty or give me death. It's a do or die situation, he was saying for him. He was saying that this is not something that I'm willing to live under the tyranny and the oppression and the dominion of a foreign king. And he said, from this day forward, it, for me, it's either live free or I'm ready to die. Boy, that's a lot of guts, isn't it? To stand up against the largest navy in the world, the largest empire in the world, and say, hey, I've chosen to be free. Wow. Well, I want to tell you that's exactly what you did the day you walked forward and accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You said, from this time forward, I'm going to be free. From this time forward, no addiction, no sin, no fear, no powerful source can ever have dominion over me again. It is not God's will that I live under the dominion of anything that nothing should take the place of our allegiance to him. He is the one and only one leader and guide of his people, the shepherd of his people. Praise God. And he doesn't want you 
to be dominated and manipulated and controlled by any substance or anything. He wants you to be free to serve and worship him and love him and have relationship with him. And because he wants that, he knows you can't have that unless you're free. So immediately when you come forward and you say to Jesus, I accept you as Savior and Lord, when you come to the cross and you accept his blood as shed for the remission of your sin, payment in full, no more debt, that you are a person that is bought with a price, paid for with the precious blood of Jesus, without spot and without blemish. For you know that you were not born again of corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. That, uh, that instant you became a child of God. That instant you became a son, a daughter of God. At that moment you became members of the household and the family of God. Isn't that wonderful to know? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As many as had been redeemed, they are the children of God. Being the children of God is so special. It's so, so wonderful. There's no likeness to it because you are a child of the Creator. You're a child of the Sovereign One who controls it all. And aren't you glad that there is nothing that is beyond his power to change and his power to, to transform? Nothing, nothing, nothing is past his ability and his uh, great love for every one of us. That happens when we become part of the family of God. And our great, great privilege is that we can fellowship and encounter him. You see, what we lost in the garden we regained in the Lord Jesus. That's called the doctrine of, come on, Jerry, tell me what it is, recapitulation. He said, I will never forget about the doctrine of recapitulation. It says this, what we lost in Adam, we regained in Jesus Christ. The early church father, Irenaeus, was the one who was first to preach that doctrine of recapitulation. What God was in the garden he wants to become to us through his son Jesus. Amen. And he loved to come down in the cool of the day and walk with his greatest creation. He had an appointment every day that he would show up and that he would reciprocate with Adam and with Eve. And when they sinned, they lost that. When they sinned, they lost that. God's heart was grieved. God's heart was pained because that fellowship was no longer there. What, what happened? What, what rendered that null and void? We call it the original sin or the initial sin. And as our federal head, I'll get Joel to explain to you what federal head means one of these days. That's an interesting term, but we call Jesus our federal head now. Adam was our federal head in the garden. He represented all of us. He was the creation of God. God formed him out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. 
Therefore, Adam was endowed by the Creator these certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All was in that covenant that Adam had, but he lost it. And he had to leave the garden. And the Bible said God drove them out from his presence. Wow. We lost presence. We lost fellowship. We lost that reciprocal nature of our relationship to God. We no longer had that access. But what we lost in Adam, our federal head, we regained in another federal head. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, neither was there any guile found in his mouth. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. For by one man's sin and transgression, death entered in the world, death by sin. And that awful cloud of dread and fear and worry hung over all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die. And we walked our steps upon this earth in fear and worry and anxiety. But when Jesus rose from that tomb on that glorious day, he shook the world with the words, Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have defeated death, hell, and the grave. They shall have no more dominion over you. They will not rule over you anymore. I have broken that spell. I've broken that power. I have broken that bondage. I have destroyed that captivity. You're not a captive anymore. You're not a slave anymore. You're not a servant to that anymore because of what Jesus did at Calvary's cross. Isn't that wonderful to know? And oh, that, that song says, He did it all for me. Jesus paid it all for me. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. White as snow. So who is our representative now with God? It's not Adam. We lost Adam. But we regained in the person of the Lord Jesus what we lost in Adam. I've got a representative right now in the presence of God. I've got a federal head named the Lord Jesus Christ who represents me in the courtroom of God. Hallelujah. And since I have been justified by faith, I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible said Jesus is in the presence of the Almighty interceding for me and interceding for you. In our place, he is beseeching the Father. Oh, what a joy and privilege that is. Why don't you give God a real hand clap of praise that you've got an advocate. You've got an advocate. Praise God. That sin, that original sin separated us from God. Just as our country physically fought for freedom and the American way of life, so do all who will earnestly contend for the faith and fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. War a good warfare, the Bible says. <laughs> I used to love it when we were kids. We'd sing, we are in the army of the Lord. 
washed in the blood and we're going forth. Army. Does God have an army? In Revelation 19, when John saw the heavens open, he said he saw the heavens open and he said the 11th and 12th verse, he said, I saw one sitting on a white horse and he, he was called faithful and true and the armies of heaven followed him. Oh, blessed be God. I, 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 our Lord Jesus is a, is, a, is a fighter. Our Lord Jesus is a winner in the battle. Our Lord Jesus is the captain of our salvation. Our Lord Jesus tells all of us, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Have your loins gird with truth and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, Above all, take the shield that you might be able to quench the fiery darts that Satan hurls against you. Oh, I'm glad I've got a shield. I'm glad that when Satan hurls his fiery darts, we've got a shield. I'm glad that when Satan hurls his insults and his insinuation and his lies that we have a shield. Aren't you glad you have a shield, a shield of faith that will quench the fiery darts? That means put their fire out. Quench the fire. Glory to God. Because we have this relationship with God, he is our, our, our God and the supplier of every need. As an early church father, Irenaeus said, we got it back in Jesus. We got it back in Jesus. We lost it in Adam, but we got it back and Jesus, tell your neighbor, we got it back. Through the blood of the cross, we regained eternal life through the Lord Jesus. We lost that in Adam. He had it, but we lost it. And then the Bible said, by one man's disobedience, sin came into the world, and death by sin. So we've got this this war to be fought, we've got this battle to be fought, and we have weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not, come on Bible readers, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, they're not worldly, but he said, but they're spiritual. And they're powerful. And they tear down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are mighty, mighty, powerful, explosive, dynamite. Have you got any holy dynamite in you? I said, have you got any holy dynamite in you? If the weapons of our warfare are mighty, if the weapons of our warfare are strong in tearing down barriers and tearing down fortresses that Satan has tried to build in our church and build in our life, if something will tear that down and break that up, isn't it natural that we would embrace the weapons of our warfare and say, oh God, help me to be a good soldier. Help me to be alert. Help me to to be armed and help me to be dangerous as far as the devil's concerned. Hey, wouldn't you like to live so that every morning 
when you get up, somebody would go tell the devil, hey, she's up. Just thought I'd warn you. Oh, Brother Ford is up. Just thought I'd let you know your day may be about to get bad because she's awake. Oh, wouldn't it be great if the devil shook and trembled because of great prayer warriors that prayed prayers that tear down walls, that destroys fortresses and mighty barriers that hold us from doing what we want to do? Isn't it something that you've got that weapon and it's mighty? Can you say mighty? Mighty. It's not weak. I said it's not weak. It's mighty. It's powerful. So the next time the devil hurls one of his darts at you, just say, you'd better watch out. I'll blow you up. I'll blow you up. You better not mess with me. I'll blow you up because I've got a weapon. And that weapon is what, Pastor? It's the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus. Palsied limbs are made straight. At the name of Jesus, fevered brows are cooled. At the name of Jesus, encouragement and strength are given to the weak. At the name of Jesus, demons in hell tremble and shake at the mention of his name. At the name of Jesus, people come off of their sick bed, pick up their bed and walk with it. At the name of Jesus, needs are met, lepers are cleaned, eyes are open, deaf ears are unstopped. Oh, I want you to know today there's power in the name of Jesus. Oh, we ought to pray in his name. We ought to preach in his name. We ought to sing in his name. What a worship in his name because when you say Jesus, you get the attention of God. When you say Jesus, you're opening the door to a new presence you've never known before. You can't get it on a shelf. You can't order it out of a catalog. It comes from heaven itself. When you bombard heaven with your request and you say, oh, God, put and infuse your spirit within me because I need a weapon, God. I'm fighting a battle. I need you to give me a weapon. That name is mighty. It tears down strongholds. It opens doors. Opens doors. When you, as one of God's people, get into a prison. Now, Peter got into a prison because he was doing something right. Sometimes the battle will look like it's being won by the enemy. They'd already killed James and said, Peter, we're going to wait till after Easter, and then we're going to kill you. And the Bible said while Peter was in prison, prayer, prayer, continual, fervent, 
was offered by the church for him. And the Bible said while the church was praying, while the church was bombarding heaven and ringing the prayer bells, Peter was in prison. And the Bible said the angel of the Lord. When you pray, does God dispatch angels? When you pray, does it move the hand of God? When you pray, does God get into ac action? When you pray, does God dispatch help? I can say yes to all of those questions. And the Bible said the angel of the Lord, li listen, uh, woke up Peter who was asleep. Oh, Brother Jerry, I've got to where I can't sleep. You need to get to where you can sleep through the storm. You need to get where you can sleep through all the drama. You need to get to where you can sleep when other people's heart is failing them. You need to be able to where you can be content and get your rest and sleep when others are frantic and running around trying to find a remedy. Oh, the pastor was in jail, and the church prayed. And the angel came and woke him up and said, Put your sandals on. He'd already made himself comfortable because he knew that he would not leave this world until God finished with him. Hey, let me tell you, the devil's not going to kill you one day before God gets through with you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for this day is the trouble thereof. Rest in the grace that you have today. Tomorrow you'll find new grace. And the day after that you'll find newer grace. And the day after that you'll find newest grace. And grace will just keep on coming. Grace upon grace, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Whatever it takes, God will work for you. And the devil cannot defeat God's purpose in you. The devil can't take away anything God has given you. The devil can't destroy what the work of God has begun in you. He says, I will not take my hand off of you until I have completed what I began in you. Stop worrying about when you're going to die. Stop worrying about getting cancer. Stop worrying about all these things going on. There is a heavenly Father, and he cares about you, and he loves you. The angel said, put your shoes on. Pastor, get up and put your shoes on. Wake up. What's going on? We're going out of here. We're coming out of here. We're coming out. I, I long for the day when Harvest can tell the world, we're coming out of here. I long for the day when Harvest can preach the message, we're coming out of here. I want to tell you, when you get to that place in God where fetters can't hold you and prison bars can't, can't hold you in, where prison gates will roll back 
has that angel started out of that prison with that pastor? Every time they'd get to a gate, Tina, the Bible said the gate would shake a little bit and then it would roll back. And they came from the innermost part of the prison. He wasn't just in prison. He was in the centermost part, the most secure part of the place. And they had one gate at the front of the prison. The Bible said it took 12 men to close it. The angel said, keep walking. You've got to keep walking. Just keep on walking. My message to you today is keep walking. My message to you today on your way out, on your way to recover your freedom is don't stop. Keep walking. And as long as they kept walking, praise God, the Bible said the power of God would hit the gate every time and open the gate. Why do you reckon those gates open, Pastor? Because the church prayed. While the church prayed, God did miracles. While the church prayed, God opened doors. While the church prayed, God delivered the pastor. While the church prayed, God wrought miracles. And the Bible said when he got to that gate that took 12 men to open, as soon as his foot began to go through, the Bible said it rolled back on its own accord. Pastor, are you telling me that inanimate objects move when the church prays? Are you telling me what takes 12 people to do? God needs no help to move something that's keeping me from my freedom. What's hindering you from your freedom today? What's keeping you from being free today? I want to tell you, if you'll pray, hallelujah, if you'll pray, God will roll that door back just like he rolled the door back for Peter. He's a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. He does great things. He does miracles. He has, number one, he has a purpose in prayer. Psalm 139 and 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. Search me, God. Know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. Why do I have to pray like that? Because sometimes I tell myself wrong information and bad preaching. I'm not the only one in this house that preaches to myself. I'm looking at some folks I know preaches to themselves. There are people that here say some pretty negative things to yourself. Come on now. When it seems like the hour is late and nothing's happened, you'll hear something go, I told you, it ain't going to happen. God ain't going to provide. God ain't going to help you. If you're not careful, a spirit that is not of God will try its best to get a hold of you. It will try its best to cause you to have a panic attack and cause you to doubt the promises of God. So try the spirits. Hey, when that kind of talk starts happening in your heart, say, hold it. 
Let me get my meter out here and let's test that. Where did that come from? There's a, something wrong. There's an error here somewhere. Oh, I see what that is. That's a spirit of my adversary, the devil. That's a spirit of defeat. That's, that, that's a spirit of failure. That, that's, a, that's a spirit that's contrary to the spirit of God. I'm going to tell that spirit, hey, spirit, get out of here. Get out of here. I used to have a little lady in the church years ago at my first church, Tuscaloosa, 1976. Lord of mercy, how long ago was that? There was a little sister there named Sister Hankins. She was up in years, and she couldn't hear it thunder. When I'd preach, she'd just holler amen to anything I said. Sometimes, Charles, I said things I didn't need her to say amen to. Sometimes I'd say something like, I know I'm not the greatest preacher in the world. Amen. <laughs> but I'll tell you what Sister Hankins was. She was a praying warrior for God. And if you didn't want to be bothered with that old lady's praying, you better not tell her something that you need to happen. Because she'd take authority over that thing. I said she'd take authority over that. She would tell Jesus, Lord, you said in your word that I had authority. And you said that if I just had faith, I could say that I could link my tongue to my brain, that if I had faith, I could say to a mountain, be removed. And she said, Lord, I take authority over this spirit that has come against my sister, and in the name of Jesus, I bind its power. You said you'd bind it in heaven if I bound it on earth. And I bind that power. I bind that spirit that's tormenting my friend. And in Jesus' name, get out of here. Get out of here, she'd say. I got tickled at her one time. She'd look over at me and she said, Brother Jerry, that was the meanest kind. I said, what do you mean? She said, that was the meanest kind of devil that there is. I said, I didn't know you had them ranked. But, brother, it didn't make any difference to her. Little ones, big ones, mean ones, docile ones. She just chased them out the door. Now, you think that's foolishness. But I want to tell you, if you'll read that book right there, you'll find out that people who really have the goods, people who really spend time with God in prayer, they know what authority means. They know what command means I would to God that you could grow in grace to the point that you knew the authority that's been given to you by the power of God. A power that if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. A power that if a serpent bites you, it won't kill you. You know anybody like that? Sure. The Apostle Paul. He was building a fire one time and a viper pitched on him and the Bible said, and he shook it off.
into the fire. And the natives that knew that snake knew it's a killer. You don't make it but a few minutes after that snake bites you. And when Paul was still going about and still doing business, they knew that that venom did not phase him in the least. They thought he was a god. And they said, oh, we've got to worship him. He said, foolishness, stop that foolishness. I'm not God. I came here to preach to you about that God, but I'm not that God. God uses me, he said, to preach this gospel. When we pray, God grows you and expands your faith, and he gives you things that you can't get anywhere else except on your knees. Come on, Olivia, and help me quit. Well, I got a page and a half this Sunday. I only did a page last week. 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they of God, because many false spirits are going out into the world. You see, as the priest of your temple, you're responsible for what comes in. I said, as priest of your temple, you are responsible for what comes in. And I want to tell you, your temple does not need a lot of the stuff that you're so curious about with others. The worst thing you can do is compare yourself to others. Stop comparing yourself to others. Stop estimating how much God loves you by how much He does for somebody else. That's one of the biggest tricks the devil's got. Don't you ever let him cause you to believe that God cares less about you than he does anybody else. This Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. No, sir. God is not a respecter of persons. God will do for everybody what he will do for one. There is not one person here that is favored by God above others. He loves every one of you with the same love. He cares about every one of you with the same care. He watches over every one of you with the same diligence. Don't allow the devil to put stuff in your heart and in your mind. Don't let other people dump their garbage in your temple. You've got to be careful about how much of that stuff you can ingest. I know the Bible said, bear ye one another's burdens. I know. And you listen to their burden. I know. But don't let it get in your heart to the point that you doubt God because of something somebody told you. Let the Spirit of God that is in you be a filter. The Bible said He is the Spirit of truth. He filters out the lies. The Bible said He will lead you and guide you into all the truth. He'll bring all things to your remembrance. He will show you things. He'll teach you. If you'll let him, he'll tell you when enough is enough. If you'll let him, he'll tell you what you need to turn your ears off and say, I'm not hearing any of that. How churches would be blessed and benefited if they could just do that. Benefited if they could just do that. You see... 
the greatest obstruction and the hindrance. I, I wanted to preach about this, but I'm not, I'm not going to get there today. The greatest hindrance in our lives is when sin, when sin appears in our lives. What happens, Pastor, when Christians sin? Do Christians sin? Yeah. Yeah, they do. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We make God a liar. There's a difference in intentional, willful, habitual disobedience and transgression. There's a difference. I said there's a difference. What happens, Pastor, when we see great leaders, great people that have done great things for God, and you find out some immorality and some lack of fidelity, and you find out those kind of things? Why does that happen? The Bible said when we are sin, it's because we yield to temptation. And the Bible said that sin will lead us away and lead us astray. And we err. I said we err. Now I've got it up there in the notes. It's in James chapter 5. Let me start at 14 and I'll, I'll quit with this today, I promise. But I'll come back to it next Sunday because you're not going to get off the hook. 5.14 says this. Is there any sick among you? Any sick? Any sick? Any sick? All sick? Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer, the prayer, the prayer, the prayer, Natalie, the prayer, the prayer of faith will save the sick. In other words, he'll get better. He'll recover. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord. Not the man who prayed the prayer, but the Lord. Not the man who anointed with the oil, but the Lord. Not the one who put his hand on him, but the Lord. The Lord will raise him up. Listen now. And if he hath committed any sin. Y'all not shouting at something you ought to shout about. If he hath committed any sin it shall be forgiven him. So are you telling me, Pastor, that a person can be healed and at the same time forgiven? Are you telling me that healing is in the atonement? Are you telling me that what Jesus did at Calvary is for our healing as well as forgiveness of sin? Do you, are you telling me those things go together? Well, I just quoted you the Scripture that said, The Lord shall raise him up, and if he hath committed any sin, they shall be forgiven him. What happened that put all of that in motion? 
Is any sick among you? Call for the elders of the church. Let them pray. Let them pray. Let them pray. Let me say this. For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Availeth much. Rest of that fifth chapter there says this. Elias was a man subject to like passion as we are. Speaking of Elijah. And he said, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain upon the earth. And it rained not. He prayed and shut up heaven. He prayed and no rainfall. Why? Because a wicked king and a wicked queen was making a mockery of God and leading Israel into apostasy, into paganism. The Bible said he prayed and it rained not by the space of three years and six months. But when, y'all remember when that happened? He took his prophet assistant up on the mountain, and he said, I'm going to pray, and you go look for the sign. I'm going to pray, and you go watch. And he came back, and he said, Oh, man of God, I looked. But he said, I saw nothing but clear blue sky. Elijah said, go again. And Elijah prayed while he was gone. Came back the second time, he said, I still don't see nothing. Third time, he said, no sign of rain anywhere. Fourth time, no lightning, no thunder, nothing. Fifth time, still nothing. Sixth time, still absolutely nothing. Seventh time. When he came back, and found the prophet on his knees praying. He said, I saw a cloud rising about the size of a man's hand. <laughs> saw a cloud. Saw a cloud. And from that, Elijah got up. And the Bible said, he said to his servant, you go tell Ahab that he better get down off of this mountain because there is an abundance of rain coming. And the Bible said that Elijah gird up his loins and outran Ahab's chariot. You want to know why sometimes I get a running fit? It's because God answers prayer. It's because I get an answer when I pray until I prayed. If I'd have quit on the sixth time, I wouldn't have got my answer to prayer. But when he went that seventh time and he says, you go again, you keep going and looking because I'm convinced God is going to do this. I'm convinced God is going to answer this prayer and I'm not going to stop praying so you don't stop looking. Oh, if I've got a message for you today, it's this. I'm going to keep on praying, you keep on watching. I'm going to keep on praying, you keep on watching. Because I believe I hear an abundance of rain coming. I think I kind of hear some lightning in the distance and some thunder. I kind of feel like God is about to rain. You think we need to pray about rain? Pray ye the Lord that he will send rain in the latter rain. Pray that the Lord in the latter times will pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. 
that when time comes for God to pour it out, that there will be people that will be basins that will catch what God pours out. I'm telling you, before this old world goes into oblivion, God is going to pour out some power. God's going to pour out some anointing. God's going to pour out the Spirit of God. In these last days, God is pouring out His Spirit. Thanks be to God. Pray that He'll send rain during the time of the latter rain. Stand with me, please. Well, buddy, you ought to bust firecrackers good today, oughtn't you? I would have been in trouble when I was a kid and the fourth fell on Sunday. You know why, Don? You, same reason you. We didn't shoot no firecrackers on Sunday. That old gospel preacher dad of mine, Sunday's not for shooting firecrackers. That old, that old Bible-believing, praying dad of mine, he just said, we got something better to do than shoot firecrackers, glory to God. <laughs> hey, I hope you have a great day today. You enjoy this celebration of freedom. Above all, be careful. Be careful. If you travel, be careful. Not so much about you. Watch for that other guy. I said, watch out for them other guys. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for another reminder that prayer changes things. Thank you for one more event in your house where the word of the Lord was expounded. And thank you, God, for this effort from this unworthy person. Thank you for the strength. I ask you now to bless people as we go out of this room. And Lord, it really matters what we do outside these walls. I pray, God, that you'd help us to be a light and that you'd help us to be salt and bring us back together without the loss of a person. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.